This morning's scripture reading is taken from the epistle of 2 Peter, not 1 Peter, 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. I'd like to read verse number 1, and I'll read the succeeding odd-numbered verses through verse number 9. I invite you to read with me in unison, please, beginning in verse number 2, and reading through the even-numbered verses through verse number 10. That's 2 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, and reading responsibly, and in respect to the reading of the Word of God, if you're able to stand once again, I invite you to stand. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, and reading responsively. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his own sins, Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit of God, take these wonderful words of Scripture and speak to our hearts this morning. We pray, Lord, for our children that are going to be downstairs. We pray a prayer blessing upon them. May, Lord, you work in the hearts and lives of those that maybe are here not without sins forgiven in a home in heaven. May they receive Christ as their Savior before this day is out, we pray, and we'll thank you for it. Bless in the preaching of thy word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> thank you, Daniel and Lay, for singing for us. That was a beautiful song. Thank you, Brother Dave, for playing for us. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1 once again. I need to get started real, real quick here this morning here, and uh, we have a special announcement at the end of the service here, so I want to get right to it. 2 Peter chapter 1. We've been on a mini-series the last eight Sundays, or four of those last Sundays, I should say, in regards to flawed men. We talked about David, the man after God's own heart. I hit rock bottom, and, uh, yet, uh, and he failed the Lord, but he, he came back. Of course, he's a sweet psalmist of Israel. We, we looked at the life of John the Baptist, the goat, the greatest of all time, a man been born to women, Jesus said, and yet he lost his faith near the end, but he regained it, of course, but uh, lost his faith in requesting the Messiah. We looked at Peter last week. We saw Peter, of course, he said he'd never deny the Lord, and he denied the Lord not once, but three times, vehemently cursed and swore and said he knew not the man, and he he was a coward, and he ran from the Lord. Uh, Certainly, the premise and application of these messages have been essentially that even the greatest of men in the Bible mess up, lose their faith, 
and are even default at times. And we certainly are no better than they are, and we mess up too, we lose our faith, and inevitably uh, we At one point or another, we forsake and deny the Lord. In other words, we are all destined to fail him, forsake him, and miserably fail at some point in our Christian faith. Now, I don't know about you, but that's pretty depressing if you think about it, that we're, we're destined, if Peter failed, if David failed, if John failed, that we're going to fail. Uh, I don't want to live the, the, the defeated Christian life, of course. And the, the premise of the message this morning is, is that we don't have to live a failed life. We don't have to fall. In fact, uh, the Bible says in verse number 10, it's our text verse, Peter's words, this is near the end of his life. This is his last epistle, of course. He only wrote two, obviously, the first epistle of Peter and then this, this book here. But we read near the end of his life, he said these words, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Wherefore, verse number 10, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, Notice this, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you never fell again? And wouldn't it be wonderful if you never, never messed up again? Wouldn't it be wonderful if you never uh, uh, lost your faith? Uh, that'd be wonderful. By God's grace, we can do that. I want to give you a five-point outline here this morning. Here, We're going to go rather quickly here, but notice verses 1 through 3. And notice the perfect peace of Peter. Notice the Bible says, Simon Peter, as we begin our text here. Simon Peter, notice the perfect peace of Peter. He starts off with the word, his name is Simon. Uh, now if we go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 1, the first epistle, he starts off with the word Peter. He says, Peter, an apostle of the Lord Jesus. Here he says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. The word Simon is significant and it's associated with Peter's fall. His name was Cephas in the Syriac language. Of course, we know it better as Peter. Jesus gave him the name of Peter in the Greek language, obviously. But his name was Simon. And it's always associated with his fall before he was in Christ. And uh, Luke 22, verse 31, the Bible says, Simon, Simon, uh, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. On resurrection day, the Lord spoke to Peter in Luke 24 and 33 and 34, and said, uh, said the name Simon. He didn't use the word Peter. It's always used in context of uh, his, before he was in Christ and before his fall. The name Peter was not restored until the, to, until the master had publicly reinstated him in the, at the shore of Galilee, of course, on John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17. Three times Jesus said to Peter, he said, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Simon, son of Jonas, loveth thou me. Simon, son of Jonas, loveth thou me. Three times he used the word Simon. It's associated with his old man, of course, his, his, the man before the fall. Later on, he's now called Peter. But we get to this chapter here, this book of this epistle of Second Peter, and now Peter is experiencing peace, precious peace. Verse number two, notice what it says. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you, through the knowledge of our God and our Savior, Jesus, God and of Jesus, our Lord, of course. And uh, so Peter, it's no accident that Peter starts off this book in a humble way. He says, Simon, he remembered who he was. He said, Simon, and then he said, he, he, now he's got a perfect peace that he didn't have before. And he says, uh, 
Uh, a, a, he's a servant of Christ, a, a servant, a humble servant. And what a privilege to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and to be uh, uh, rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my Lord and to dwell in the tents of wickedness. To be a servant of Jesus Christ, what an honor. But uh, not only to be a humbled servant he was, but a, he was a sent one. He was uh, all in verse number one. Simon, he, his old self, of course, a servant, an apostle. The word apostle means the sent one of Jesus Christ. We're sent ones of Jesus Christ. If you're in Christ, you're a sent one. And uh, he says, a servant of Jesus Christ. We're in Christ. We're special. And he loves me like he, the song says, it's like I'm his only son. We're, we're special in Christ. It's special to be part of Jesus Christ's family, of course. We're not a part of uh, maybe the president's family or a, a vice president's family. We're, we're part of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords family. The Lord Jesus Christ, we're special. And we're just special like we're, we're the only son that he has, of course. And not only are we, uh, Paul, P- Peter's in perfect peace because he's humbled, he's a servant, he's a sent one, he's special. He's sanctified, he's sanctified, this says in verse number one, and we have, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we, he, we're sanctified in Christ, we're settled in Christ. We're not only settled in Christ, but we're, we're secure in his grace and peace. Verse number two, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of our Lord and Lord, our knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, our Lord, of course. And so we have this perfect peace. Paul, Peter is now experiencing this perfect peace in his life. The Bible says in Psalm 37, verse number 37, mark the perfect man. And behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. We're going to the Prince of Peace. We're going to the land of peace, of course. Every child of God that has Jesus Christ is their peace in their heart and life. Isaiah 26 and verse number 3 reminds us, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And so we get to verse number 3, and look at what it says in verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things, pertaining unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And we have this wonderful truth. Uh, I submit to you that Peter is a changed man walking in the power and glory and peace of the Lord that he didn't have when he, when he forsook the Lord. Of course, he denied the Lord. There's no, peace in, uh, Seth, uh, there's no peace in denying the Lord and forsaking the Lord and failing the Lord. There's not peace in that. But Peter's walking in peace now. He is a uh, the perfect peace of Peter we see in verses 1 to 3. But then I want you to notice the, the precious promises, verse number 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. He could have said, whereby are given to us promises. But he didn't say that. He's, he could have said, we are given to us a, uh, precious promises. He could have just said that. But he didn't say that. He said, whereby are given unto us, he could have said about promises that they were great and precious promises. But he, but he didn't say that. He said, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. And uh, there's, a, there's a precious promises. There is no peace nor power nor joy in walking. There's a, pardon me, there is a peace and joy in walking, in the, walking virtuously in the Lord. Look at verse number three, latter part of the verse. In fact, the last word says, uh, through the knowledge of him that hath called us unto glory and virtue. There's, a, there's absolute power of walking in virtuously with the Lord in, in right, right behavior. 
Pastor Swanson was the pastor for, he's been in heaven for several years, but he was my pastor in Rockford, Illinois. For 57 years, he pastored the Green Baptist Church, and he had one message he preached every Sunday for 57 years, essentially one message. He talked about the holiness of God, and I never forgot it. Of course, he, he pondered it in our heads for two years that we were there, of course, obviously, and, and uh, he said this, you know, everybody wants to be happy, but uh, God wants us to be holy. Happiness is a byproduct of holiness, and oh, to be like the Lord and to walk in, walk in his uh, promises, of course. And, uh, but the Bible says exceeding, or a multitude of great and precious promises. So I googled uh, uh, the question, how many promises in the Bible? And Google was never wrong, of course, and pardon me. Google says there's approximately 8,810 promises in the Bible. Of these, 7,487 are made from God to humans. And we sing the song, every promise in the book is mine, every chapter, every verse, every line. All our blessings of his love divine, every promise in the book is mine. Well, that's maybe a beautiful song, a good song, I'd like to sing it, but not all, every promise in the book is mine. Thank you, Lord, for that. I don't have the promise to go into hell any longer. I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven. There's, I don't, there's promises to Israel that's not to you and I. There's promises given to other people. There's promises to, to the righteous and to the wicked. But many promises are to us, of course. So the, there's exceeding great promises. And there we see at least three in this text here. Uh, we see in verse number four, of course, uh, uh, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be, here's the first promise, partakers of the divine nature. And so there's a promise, first of all, a new nature. A new nature. And First Peter chapter 1 and verse 23 says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Brother Dave was talking about this in his class this morning. This is the, the word of God, the final authority that we, we have, of course, the, the inspired word of God. And, of course, we're born again by the precious, incorruptible seed of the word of God, of course. And First Peter 2, 2 says, As newborn babes desire the serum milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. The bottle of milk is to a newborn baby what, a bo- what the Bible is to a newborn Christian. We're to drink in, we're to, we received a new nature, we received a new birth. And so we get a new birth. Verse number four says again, that by these you might be partakers of a divine, the divine nature, having escaped the world, uh, escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And not only do we have a new nature, the promise of a new nature, but we have the promise of a new creature or a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? Do you know it? New creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so we're, we're a new creature in Christ. Nature determines appetite. Uh, a sheep desires green pastures. A pig will eat garbage. Uh, nature determines behavior. Eagles fly. Dolphins swim. Christians love and care. Uh, they don't kill babies and cut off heads, by the way. Uh, nature determines environment. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. But Christians run to the light because they're children of light. Nature determines association. These natural, natural man doesn't seek after the things of the Spirit of God, for there's foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, but nature determines association. God's children are glad when they hear, let us go into the house of the Lord. And so nature... As being a new creature, we have a new appetite, we have a new behavior, we have a new environment, a new association. And, uh, and so the song we sang, the kids' song, things I used to do, don't do them anymore. 
things I used to do don't know them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. There's a new, the, the promise of a new nature, the promise of a new creature. And then thirdly, there's a promise, and we see it in verses 3 and 4 again, the promise of uh, a new power. The Bible says, speaks about the exceeding great promises. It reminds me of Ephesians 3 and verse number 20. The Bible says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. We have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit of God that works in us, of course. And so we have these this precious promises. We have this perfect peace that passes all understanding that we're children of God, we're saints, we're sanctified, we're set apart, we're settled, we're in Christ Jesus, and uh, we're, we're his children, of course. And we have this precious promise of a new nature, a new creature, a new power. But verses 5 through 7 Verses 5 through 7, and beside this, giving all diligence, add. Notice the, the pathway to purity. The pathway to purity, I circled in my Bible the word add. Spiritual arithmetic. Add to your, Bible says, add to your faith. Now what's faith, by the way? Uh, add to your faith. The, this pathway to purity, it's talking about, your faith is talking about salvation. About being saved in Christ, of course. For by grace are you saved through what? Faith, and then not of yourselves it is the what? Gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so we're saved by faith. And uh, if you're saved today, if you've received Christ as your Savior, you, you, you by faith prayed the sinner's prayer. You prayed a prayer, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve to pay for my sins myself in a place called hell. But I ask right now, in the most humble way I know how, that you come into my heart. Forgive me my sin. Make me a Christian. Take me to heaven when I die. Yes, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me and rose again the third day. And you receive by faith the Lord Jesus Christ and the imputed righteousness comes upon you. And so, but here, here's the sad thing. Many Christians don't go past their faith or their, their saving faith. They never, they never add to their faith. And we're talking about being, getting to the point where we never fall. Now, we're going to sin for sure, but uh, uh, the Bible says if we do these things here, we haven't got to them yet, we'll, we'll never fall. So notice the list here is seven of them. We notice first number uh, five. It is add to your faith the first ingredient, virtue. The word virtue there. We see it again in the last word of verse number three. Uh, Through the knowledge of Him that hath called us unto glory and virtue, and uh, virtue is uh, we say what is virtue? Virtue is right behavior. There's the power of doing right. It's genuine goodness. It's having the mind of Christ. Virtue. I don't know about you, but I can be so negative in my mind. Uh, I can be just so uh, critical. I, I, can see, I can see the wrong in everything, of course. And Philippians 4, verse number 8, the Bible says, speaking about, the Bible says in, in, in Philippians 2, that let his mind be in you, which is also in Christ. Virtue begins by being, being in Christ, of course, and it results in right behavior. It says Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So there's the power of righteous, virtuous living. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 6, of course, was thrown in the lion's den, of course, in verse number 16 of Daniel, it says, the king said in verse 16, he said, Thy God whom thou deliverest continually he will deliver thee. There's power in virtue. There's power in walking with the Lord, of course. And, 
And so you add to your faith virtue. But to virtue, we're to add something else. We're to add knowledge. And these are building blocks, by the way, and I think they're in order on purpose, the way they're found, of course. We can, you may be a brand new Christian. You don't know all the word of God right yet. That's understandable. We need to study to show ourselves approved unto God and work with the needs not to be ashamed. But notice we add to our virtue knowledge. What is that knowledge? Well, if virtue is right behavior, then knowledge involves reading the book, reading the Bible. In Joshua 1.8, the Bible says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good, what's the word? Success. The only time you find the word of success in all the Bibles in Joshua 1.8, of course. And we need to read the Word of God, of course. Psalm 19, verses 7 to 11 is not on, your, not on the screen, of course, but uh, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And uh, it says in verse number 10 of Psalm 19, speaking about the Word of God, moreover by them is I, more, uh, more to be re- desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. This book is more valuable than gold that perishes, of course. Uh, Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. And so God says, add to your faith, add to your salvation, virtue, right behavior. Add to your faith, knowledge, that's read the book, learn the book, and study to show thyself approved unto God. And to your knowledge, back to the text, verse number six, and to knowledge, temperance. Most of you know we had the Women's Temperance Union 100 years ago, and uh, most of you know that the word temperance has to do with self-control. And uh, you can be the most knowledgeable person in the world. And you know, it's possible to know the Bible and not live the Bible. It's possible to, well, hello, grandson. And, uh, okay. Sorry about that. Oh, that's all right. You'll be preaching someday, buddy. Amen. But temperance, self-control. Solomon had great wisdom. He had more wise than any man in the, the, the earth. He asked for God, for God for wisdom, and God gave him wisdom. We have the Song of Solomon, of course. We have some of the Proverbs from, from Solomon, of course. And uh, He had wisdom, but he didn't have, didn't have self-control. The Bible says in Proverbs 25 and verse 28, he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. In 1 Corinthians 9, 27, uh, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means I, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. So self-control or temperance has to do with discipline of the body. And God calls us to have virtue, have right behavior, right thinking. We need to have knowledge. We need to read the book. We need to have temperance or self-control. We need to discipline the body. And then, then of course, to add to your temperance, the Bible says add patience. And the Bible says, consider the patience of Job. I think of Job, I think of, and many of you know the story of Job, of course, and the story of Joseph in Genesis, of course, how Joseph was sold into slavery, hated by his brothers, of course. They wanted to kill him, of course. And he was sold into slavery, and then he went down to Egypt, of course, and he, he, uh, he was in prison, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, and went to jail and prison for years. And he was separated from his father, of course, from... Jacob or from Israel, of course, and, and uh, all that went wrong with him. You know, some things, sometimes good things or bad things happen to good people. Don't forget that. And patience has the idea of staying good in bad times. Don't give up on your faith when things go bad. 
Paul was in the Philippian jail, or jail in Philippians 4, verse 11, when he said, not that they speak in respect of want or lack, for I've learned in what service state I'm in, there were to be content. And so add to your faith virtue, right behavior. Add to your faith knowledge, read the book. Add to your faith temperance, discipline the body. Add to your temperance, patience. Stay good, stay, stay good in your bad times. But then to patience, add godliness. What is godliness? Well, godliness is denoting character and conduct determined by the principle of love or fear of God in the heart is the summing up of genuine religion. Uh, godliness is modeling our life after the blessed Christ. And uh, 1 John 4, 17, herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in the world. Oh, to be like Christ. Oh, I... I, I feel like I fail so often, and I do fail, I'm afraid, and there's reason why I, don't, I fail, and you fail as a Christian if you're a child of God. It's because we're not incorporating these things in our life like we should, and we'll get to the punchline here in verses 8 through 10 here in a moment here. But, uh, so we have this godliness, and these are building again. So we have virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness. But then to godliness, we add brotherly kindness, now that's to be, to one another, to other brothers and sisters in Christ, that's to be benevolent, to be giving, of course. Acts 2.45, speaking about the first church there in Jerusalem, and sold their possessions and goods and parted to all men as every man had need. Let me just say, insert here real quickly here, the Bible does not teach communism, the Bible teaches community. Amen. Communism is forced distribution, forced confiscation, Confis I can't say the word all of a sudden, <laughs> and uh, you know what, what I want. And, uh, uh, but community is out of a heart of love, of course. And Acts 4.34, speaking about the church there in Jerusalem, neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as had were possessors of lands and houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And so we have brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, we have charity. Notice where it says charity. Of course, that's the Greek word. Most of you know that. The, word, the famous word that we use in our English language, the word agape, of course. It's God love. God's love is the best love. In 1 Corinthians 13, the charity chapter, of course, it says, the last verse, and now abideth faith. Faith is important. It's the foundation of our salvation. Faith, hope, the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now by his faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. And so one more time, the order. Add to your faith, virtue, that's right behavior. Add to your virtue, knowledge, that's read the book. Add to your knowledge, temperance, that's discipline your body. Just keep under control of your body. He hath no rule over his own spirit. It's like a city that's broken down without walls. Add to your temperance, patience, staying good in bad times. Add to your patience, godliness. Add to your godliness, brotherly kindness. And the last, which you would think, you'd think that this would be the first, but it's the culmination, it's the climax. Love, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Love, God is love. How do we get to God if we have virtue and we have godliness and we have uh, knowledge and temperance and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and uh, we're going to have charity ultimately it's the great, greatest uh, highest mark of Christianity is 
God is love, of course, and it all begins to emanate from his holiness. But then we, I want you to notice just quickly, verses 8 and 9, the poison purged. For, he's, he's building a case here, he's heading to verse number 10. He says, for if these things be in you, what things? Well, the things we just talked about, the, the uh, pathway to purity. If these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren, three things, barren nor unfruitful, bountiless, I call it, and uh, barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. Blind. And so the poison purged, you won't be number one, letter A on our worksheet, you won't be barren. You know, we'll be able to discern when we get to heaven. There won't be jealousy in heaven, but we'll be discern. There are several verses that teach us this truth. We'll discern between those who serve God and those who do not serve God. They will not be judged according to our salvation. Our salvation is all in Christ. He paid it all, of course. But we'll be judged according to our, our works in regard to do we live for the Lord or do we not live for the Lord. There is judgment seat of Christ. And the Bible says that some in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 15, if any man's work be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Some people are going to be saved and have no rewards to show heaven, to show show they're a savior. They'll, they'll be ashamed at his appearing, the Bible says. And, and uh, they're, they're, they're barren. They're, they're, all eternity, you know who, who served God and who didn't serve God for Christians. But then barren and then bountiless. Uh, the song says, must I go and empty handed? Must I meet my savior so? John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus said, I am the vine. Ye are the, the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. And then verse number 16 of the chapter says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. God wants us to bear fruit. And uh, so uh, the poison purge, we won't, won't be barren, we won't be uh, bountiless, we'll have fruit. And then verse number 9, But he that lacketh these things is blind. There's a blindness. And cannot see afar off. The words cannot see afar off is one word in the Greek language. It's, uh, it's myopozo, uh, or of course we get our word myopic from, which means short-sighted, of course. And uh, uh, you cannot see afar off. You're short-sighted. You can't see. Second uh, Corinthians 4.18 reminds us of this truth, that, that uh, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so Peter is prescribing a formula for us. He's, he's talking about the perfect peace that he now has. He's a saint of God. He's separated. He's sanctified. He's set apart. He's settled in Christ. He speaks about the precious promises, the great and exceeding, exceeding great and precious promises. He has a new nature. We have a new, we're a new creature in Christ. We have new power. He speaks about the purity of the pathway of purity, we need to add to our faith virtue and virtue knowledge, knowledge temperance and patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity or, and, and the grace of these is love of course and then he talks about the poison purge but we get to verse number 10 and this is a punchline of the message here. It says verse number 10, wherefore the brother, brethren give diligence, notice give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Notice the prescription for perfection. 
the prescription for perfection. Two things about it. For if, I have if circled in my Bible, there's a condition. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Back to the first part of the verse. The Bible says, make your calling and election sure. In other words, if you want to be faultless, how many of you would like to be faultless? I would like to be faultless. But, I, but I'm faulted. I'm failed. I've, I've, I've forsook my Lord on many occasions. But one day I'm going to be presented faultless in front of his exceeding glory. I'm faultless in Christ Jesus, of course. And if you want to be faultless, make sure, first of all, that you're saved. Make sure that you know that you're saved. The Bible says in Jude 24, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Know that you're saved. Know that you're born again. Make your calling and election sure. Now Christ died for the sins of the whole world. He died for your sins, that means. For God so loved the world, he's not willing that any should perish, but they all should come unto repentance. Salvation is of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You must be born again, Jesus said to Nicodemus. You've got to be saved and born again. He said, how do I do that? I'm glad you asked. You need, you need to come a time in your life, a place in your life where you're born again by the Spirit of God. First birth is from your parents, from your mother specifically. Second birth is from the Heavenly Father, from the Holy Spirit of God, by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's a transaction that takes place when you call upon Christ to save you. You say, I prayed to the Lord thousands of times. Have you ever prayed to be saved? Lord, save me. I'm a sinner. I, I deserve your wrath. I deserve your punishment, but I'm asking for your mercy and your grace. Give me, give me your salvation. Make me a child of God. He saves us. He equips us. Make sure that you're saved. And in uh, one day you'll presented, be presented faultless in front of the exceeding glory. And then, then I'll make sure that you're saved. But the latter part of the verse says, for if you do these things, you shall sometimes fall, maybe fall, occasionally fall. No, if you do these things, you shall never fall. The prescription for perfection, if we could maintain our walk in the Spirit, the Bible says in Galatians 5, 16, this I say, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is, do you know it? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And so we're to walk in the Spirit. What am I trying to tell you in the last half hour? I'm trying to tell you, we're, as children of God, whether we be like a Peter, whether we be like John the Baptist, and we, whether we be like David, and we said in one of the messages, there's a little bit of Peter in all of us. There's a little bit of John the Baptist in all of us. There's a little bit of David in all of us. There's a little bit of Adam in all of us, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. How can we possibly be perfect? We put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and we'll be presented faultless. We, we, we walk in His Spirit every day, and we, we can, the Bible says if we do that, we'll never fall. We'll never fall. I, I think of Thomas Chisholm's, I wanted to sing the song, but it's not in our hymn book, 1897 song, Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer. The verse says, Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, stamp thine own image deep in my heart. Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of life's earth's treasures, Jesus, thy perfect likeness to wear. Peter went from failing the Lord miserably to cursing and swearing, saying, no, not the Lord, to this point in time in his life, near the end of his life, where he called himself Simon Peter. He said, I'm, I'm, I remember who I was, but I'm now a servant of Jesus Christ. 
I'm a sent one, I'm called an apostle of Jesus Christ, I'm sanctified in Christ, I've attained like precious faith, I'm, I have the sanctification and righteousness of God in me, I'm settled and I'm secure in Christ. And he spoke about the precious promises of a new nature, a new creature, a new power. He talked about the pathway to purity, add to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness and charity. And he said, purge the poison, you won't be barrenless, you won't be bondless, you won't be blind. And then the prescription for, 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 for perfection is uh, make sure that you're saved, make your calling and election sure, make, make, maintain your walk in the spirit. And all God's people said, 